السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام على بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم تسليم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم أجمعين سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم This is our fifth session in a total of five sessions so our last session and these sessions have been titled The Islamic Discourse in Religious Institutions based upon a treatise penned by Sayyid al-Habi Umar bin Muhammad bin Salim bin Hafiz. And what we have attempted to do throughout these sessions is to highlight some of the important principles that relate to institutions that are serving the deen and these equally apply to those that have some type of humanitarian that focus as well. And we touched upon the primary mission of the religious institutions. We also spoke about <coughs> the integrity of the discourse and how it relates to the integrity of the individual. And then we went into more details about some of the important principles of success. And yesterday's session, today's session, is discussing the ten points that Habib Omar mentions under the chapter heading Furthering, Further Developing the Islamic Discourse. And just to briefly recap <coughs> what we took yesterday, we discussed the first five, and these are first and foremost um, that working together, those who are concerned that in all establishments that religions should work together, correspond, cooperate. Uh, and that especially those that are involved in that serving the Muslim community and also conveying the realities of Islam. The second principle was <coughs> is that we should connect to various types of prominent people and um, that to work with them as well to assist in any way that they can. And then thirdly, um, <coughs> we should be very aware of what is being conveyed and presented to the upcoming generation. And so uh, educational curricula, uh, khutbas that are given, different types of classes, programs, we should look into this, the, these various uh, things and to, to make sure that the message that is being conveyed is conducive for the generation. And then number four, respecting the various schools of Islam and the various schools of Ahl al-Sunnah and Jama'ah, of course, and understanding how they are expressions of the breadth, perfection, and exaltedness of the pure Sharia. And then fifth, having consideration for divergent groups and <coughs> non-Muslims. And we went into a little bit of detail about what that means and what that doesn't mean. And it doesn't mean that we approve of anything that is wrong, any type of falsehood. Nor does it mean that we set aside any of the truth. Uh, but we don't unnecessarily provoke other people, unnecessarily incite um, that, uh, uh, that things between us and other people. And then um, he mentions in his treatise a number of different verses from the Quran regarding that. 
So now we're on number six. And the, the, that sixth point of advice that will help further the Islamic discourse as we move forward is the following. Having respect for fields of expertise in general, and specifically for issuing fatwas regarding the rulings of the Sharia and formulating the Islamic discourse. This entails that fatwa questions be directed back to the experts, the pious scholars of jurisprudence, and the formulation of the discourse is directed back to its experts, the people of noble-mindedness, wisdom, and mastery. Anything related relating to specialized aspects of various professions, techniques, crafts, and trades should also be referred to the experts in those fields. So, Sayyid Habi Omar is speaking specifically here about <coughs> having respect for tahassus in general. Tahassus is um, a field of expertise. And as we move forward, as Muslim individuals and as communities in the lands in which we live, we will see that this will become increasingly important. And <coughs> one of the things that you notice with our forebears, the pioneers who came just before us, that um, uh, people that converted in the late 60s and the 70s, let alone before that, you find them having to wear so many different hats just because there's not, there wasn't enough people to fill the gaps that need to be filled. And even if we take, for instance, the United States of America, and we think back into the early 2000s, we think back in the 90s, we think back into the 80s, and what are the various things that we see in some of the tendencies within the community? Um, <clears throat> many of our community leaders, you find that they, are, they were expected to, <coughs> excuse me, they were expected to do many different things. And not only did they have to teach, and not only did they have to deliver the sermon, not only did they have to speak publicly, not they also had to counsel, and they also had to do this, and they also had to do that. They had a, a wide array of responsibilities. And even in those various things that they were doing, the various programs, their various speaking, speak, uh, speaking engagements, and so forth and so on, you find that they were across a broad array of different areas to various groups of Muslims, to various groups of non-Muslims at the university setting, locally, and so forth and so on. And that's something that's not easy. And um, as we mature as a community, we will come to the conclusion that it makes more sense for us to focus on one or two or a few things that we can do best and really develop those skills and then hopefully other people will cover some of the other areas. Because of all of the different areas, whether you are referring to something like interfaith, whether like an academic type of discourse, or whether you are <clears throat> doing local outreach work with your local community, and whether you are that focusing on a more inner city community or a more suburban community, whatever it might be, um, each one of these areas, requi areas requires um, expertise, it requires experience, it requires that spending a significant period of time developing one's repertoire of skills to serve in those particular areas. So what Sayyid Habibullah is calling to is respecting specialization, respecting 
fields of expertise in general. And um, this is important because, again, as we move forward as a community, if we're really going to reach out to our people and to affect them positively, we need every single person to be involved in this. And this is a very important perspective and also a very empowering perspective. And it is a perspective that challenges those that are listening and those that see themselves as more passive recipients to also bear a part of the burden of responsibility to serve. We need every single Muslim in the United States to recognize there's a responsibility on their shoulders. I'm speaking in the context of the United States and wherever Muslims live, everybody has a job. And even if you are 80 years old and you don't even speak the native language of the area in which you live and well or at all, you still have a job. Dua is a job. Positively impacting those that you can is still a job. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a duty. Young and old and spanning all different social distinctions. Everybody has to take part in this. And if you think about it from that perspective, everybody would bear that responsibility and recognizes that they are an ambassador and that they have that work to do. And there's a responsibility upon their shoulders to that remain firm in and of themselves, but also to share and to positively impact those that are around them for the sake of Allah Jalla Jalalu. If we had a critical mass of people doing that in these lands, the, there would be enormous impact, enormous impact on those that are living around us. And it's actually easier than you think. And really what we need to do as Muslims here in these lands and anywhere and in any time, in the past, in the present, and in the future, is be. We just have to be. And what that means is we learn our deen. We believe what we're supposed to believe. We practice what we're supposed to practice. We exemplify the character traits that we're supposed to exemplify. And that will speak in and of itself. And that will be what will cause the greatest impact on those that are around us with everything that is that we do which begins of course at the source which is our state with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but being aware of this being conscientious and making strong intentions every time that you go out into public to carry yourself in a certain way to positively impact people to help people to serve people to that say a good word to people with your neighbors those that with you at work those your colleagues that those that you're going to school with, your classmates, and so forth and so on. All of these different people, if we consciously are interacting with them for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, there'll be much more impact. But taking it back to specifically what Sayyidi Habibam was saying, respecting tahassus, respecting specialization, and having respect for different fields of expertise. This is very important. And what you and I need to do is to find out where we fit in. And to fill one little gap or two little gaps, something small that we can do consistently and do well. And then when we don't, don't have something, if there's something that we can't do, this gets back to some of the earlier points that Sayyidi Habibullah mentioned. This is why it's so important to work together. Because once you start moving towards degrees of specialization, you will realize that like if you're building a house, if your specialty is tiling, well, you need someone to do the drywall. 
you need someone to do the electricity, you need someone to, you need the carpenter, you need different people to collectively take part in the process of building a house. And likewise, that in serving this dean, that respecting specialization is of the utmost importance. Now, the first thing he mentions is, and specifically for issuing fatwas regarding the rulings of the Sharia and formulating the Islamic discourse. And this is that's uh, very important. Because if we're going to say that we're going to respect specialization, we're going to respect fields of expertise. And if we do this in our worldly lives, so for instance, that let's just say that you're a lawyer and uh, your basement flooded. You're not going to tell the company that you call how to fix your basement. That's their expertise. They know what they're doing. They might have been doing it for 20 or 30 years. It's their job to come in and to find out what's wrong with your basement and <clears throat> what happened and why did it flood? Is your sump pump working? That is, right, there's a crack in the concrete. Is that something else wrong? Was something not sealed outside? What's happening? Is the water not draining properly? That's their job. You're not going to tell them what to do. They know what they're doing. And if we do this in relation to dunya, the world, why do we not do this in relation to the deen? For some reason, people think that religion is easy. And yes, in terms of the outward practice of religion, yeah, we're, it's, we're not supposed to make it unnecessarily difficult on yourself. But when it comes to fatwa, this is a specialized craft that takes a, a significant amount of time for someone to learn. And you have to begin by learning the basic texts of the tradition, which simplify things. <clears throat> and they simplify things so that you can learn what's most important first. And then after you learn what's most important, then you start to learn about some of the details that come after that. And then you start to learn about some of the differences of opinion. And then you start to learn about the different proofs for the various positions. And all of this is within one school. And then you might start to learn comparative fiqh and some of the positions of other schools and so forth, which is that in and of itself is not as easy as people think because oftentimes there's various conditions that are there that you might not know if you are in, have studied another school. So this takes time. This is not something that's easy. And you also need to know something about the situation that you are judging. And you might need to be informed by other specialists of other fields to help you come to know the matter at hand so that you can correctly judge in that particular way. And you have to spend time with experts who've done this. And <clears throat> anyone who spent time with rightly guided scholars and has seen various questions that come to them, across the board that you will find that they were amazed at times how those scholars answered the questions. They might have thought they would have answered them differently. But then when they dug a little bit deeper, they saw the wisdom and why that question was answered in that particular way. And <clears throat> a lot of this has to do with the individual asking. And just as there's a critique that's oftentimes levied about industrial medicine and kind of applying that to everybody, likewise, that in the post in, in, in this world in which we live, we can't have industrial fatwas, where there's just one fatwa that applies to everybody, um, that you can't always generalize certain things. 
everyone's circumstances are different. And so this is why we have to be very careful and get into the, the details of fatwa is another topic in and of itself. But <coughs> it suffices us now to know that we must respect that issuing fatwas is a specialized craft. It is a field of expertise that must be honored. And it has to be directed back to the experts. Not anyone can give a fatwa. Just because you've read a pamphlet or you've read a book or you've heard a lecture online does not mean that you can give fatwa. You have to take it back to those that have spent the time learning that craft. And again, it's intuitive. You're not going to take advice for someone on what to do in terms of building a house that has no experience. So why would you do that in terms of your deen? That the golden statement of <coughs> Ibn Sirin, anhu, that in هذا الأمر دين, this affair is deen, فَانْظُرُوا عَمَّنْ تَأْخُذُونَ دِينُكُمْ So look very carefully to whom you take your deen from, to whom you take your religion from. Take your religion from people that you trust, that you know that are upright, and that are attached to a scholarly tradition. Don't just take your deen from anyone who's speaking on TV or anyone that's putting out a video on YouTube or anyone that's just posting something online. Take your deen from trustworthy sources. People that you know that when you're standing before Allah, Yawm Qiyamah, you can say, Ya Rab, I did my best. And these are the people that I trust that you can answer for what it is that you did and who it is that you asked. So, he then goes on to say, that who are these experts? The pious scholars of jurisprudence. And the formulation of the discourse is directed back to its experts. So, فِي فَتَاوَ الْأَحْكَامِ الشَّرِيَةِ وَسِيَاغَةِ الْخِطَابِ الْإِسْلَامِيَةِ خُصُوصًا Okay, so, um, that the two areas that he specifically mentions here is in terms of fatwa, is that we have to respect that field of expertise, and سِيَاغَةِ الْخِطَابِ الْإِسْلَامِيَةِ uh, which translates here as formulating the Islamic discourse. And <coughs> even though there are many attempts to make people of knowledge irrelevant, there are attempts to that uh, sever the tradition and people's connection to it and to criticize it. And um, it's almost as if is that there are people who um, are that intentionally doing this so that they themselves can become the authority. Um, now, on one hand, that those people of knowledge that have spent time studying have to have the humility to know that they don't necessarily have all of the answers. And that especially in the age of information, there is going to be more of a conversation that's needed with various people that bring various perspectives to the table so that we can understand everything from that all of the different ways of understanding. Remember, Sadie Heber mentioned that that <coughs> understanding something from all of its aspects. And if you think about that in a place like the United States of America, and everything that we need to know at, at the level of politics, at the level of economics, at the level of society and so forth, to really do what it is that we need to do here. We need people from all different types of backgrounds. Doctors, lawyers, specialists of different sorts, people that have um, <coughs> academics that have specialized in various fields. We need to work together. But again, there's a wisdom in why Habib Omar started with working together. If we're 
antagonistic towards each other. We're wrestling for control and for authority, as if this is like a fiefdom or something that we're trying to control. Then how are we going to come to the table to do what it is that we need to do? Um, so so there's, there's prerequisites for us to even to get to this point. And this is why they were mentioned earlier. But we need multiple people from multiple backgrounds. And think about if you respect someone's field of expertise, how that makes them feel. And they're going to be much more willing to collaborate as opposed to, oh, what you bring to the table doesn't mean anything. No. But we also have to reciprocate that. There are people of knowledge who are that receptacles for the preservation of religious principles. And that ultimately has to define the conversation. And if one person doesn't have enough to bring to the table, we need to bring more people and more people. And then if there's answers that need to be researched, is that the people who have spent time getting the tools to get those answers, they need to research and get those answers. But the religious side of things must define the conversation while respecting the various other fields of expertise to really develop a correct conception of the matter at hand and then a course of action and what we're going to do about it. So, and that the formulation of the discourse is directed back to its experts, the people of noble-mindedness, wisdom, and mastery. Okay, so for fatwa, it's the ulama, someone that is legitimately considered to be a scholar who is a faqih, who has spent time learning and mastering the science of jurisprudence. And there, that muttaqin, or muttaqin, uh, muttaqin. is it muttaqinin or muttaqin? In the text here, it's muttaqin, but I'm not sure if, if, if that was the, the, the one that you're... Uh, here's muttaqin. Muttaqin. So, meaning that they're also pious. Um, I thought it might be muttaqinin, like, but... So, definitely, they're going to have to be masters, uh, which was what muttaqinin would mean. But then also, muttaqin, that they're people of piety, meaning that they're upright, and they're not people that allow their hawa, their lower desires, to dominate them. And... But then also in terms of formulating the Islamic discourse, um, the nubala and the hukama, oh, here it's mutqini. Um, and that these are people that are of noble-mindedness, of wisdom, of mastery. This is very important. And um, then he says, anything related to specialized aspects of various professions, techniques, crafts, trades should also be referred to the experts in those fields. And so when you look at the broad understanding of Fard Kifaya, the communal obligations that we have, there's <coughs> it spans all different trades, all different crafts, everything that the society needs collectively to function is considered to be that Fard Kifaya, a communal obligation. So you can see now how the society needs to work together and how short it is that we fall, either in relation to our conception or in relation to that fitly in reality how it is that we are um, that um, engaging one another, interacting with one another. And um, we have a long, long way to go. And even though it might be a little bit at the realm of theory now, we need a new generation of people that understands these principles and that hopefully as we move forward, they will be able then to take it to the next level where they can actually um, be aware of this 
and have the correct understanding to actually make changes in the future. And by way of example, we've seen and we've heard <coughs> where we studied in Tadim is that the scholars are very active in reviving traditional crafts and trades. The scholars are very active in sustainable energy and making sure that there's sustainable energy coming to the, uh, the region that they are, are living in. Uh, the scholars are very active in reviving agricultural techniques and inviting people to come and to do seminars and to train farmers in the region on properly how to farm and things like water and that water control and making sure that the flash floods are contained and things of this nature. They're involved at every level of society. And they're likewise involved that when there was floods not too long ago um, in, in, in Hadramot, that they were involved in humanitarian service and helping rescue people and to bring people food and to help repair their homes and things of this nature. They're involved at every level. And um, that there, there, there's, it, it's uh, that a beautiful example of how a society should work together. And so there's this, this is an enormous topic, and the, the point here is to speak from the standpoint of abundance in terms of what is possible. There's so much good that can come from working together, and one of these key principles is to respect the various fields of expertise and to encourage people to serve in those various fields with a righteous intention, that they're fulfilling a communal obligation and they're bringing benefit to humanity the Muslim community, and to beyond the Muslim community. So then, num point number seven. Using technology, other forms of communication, and all other available means to achieve lofty objectives. And this is something that our teachers strongly encourage. We have these modern means of communication. Yes, that we have to understand them. Yes, we have to mitigate them. Yes, we don't make them the foundation. The foundation is in-person meetings, in-person interaction, and learning at the feet of righteous people who are scholars. But this is not always possible. And while we try to preserve that foundation, and we make sure, and one of the things that I remember one of our teachers used to say is that for everything that is that you do online, do something in person. So let's just say that you have some type of online engagement, also do something in person. Because the in-person engagement is the foundation. But we should also use the modern means of communication, modern technology, for the betterment of people, to that spread the blessings of this deen. So we put everything in its proper place. But we, we use the technology, and we use the modern means of communication, لِتَحْقِيقَ الْمَقَاسِدِ samia in order to achieve lofty objectives. And so here we have to be very careful because you can get sucked into that world. You can get sucked in, for instance, into the world of analytics. And then you all of a sudden make that determine what it is that you speak about, who it is that you speak to, where it is that you go, and things of this nature. We got to be very careful to be principled when we use that technology when we use social media and so forth and so on so that um, 
we are being faithful to the purity of the message, what it is that we want to convey, and we be protected from having ulterior motives or start thinking about material things uh, like uh, raising money, things of this nature, doing things for other than the sake of Allah ta'ala. And not that we don't sometimes use technology for fundraisers and development and things of that nature, but being very careful not to be sucked into only doing things for ulterior motives. And this is an enormous topic as well. But in general, we should use technology and other forms of communication to achieve lofty objectives. These should be utilized to clarify and spread a discourse that is sensible and balanced. A discourse that is sensible and balanced. In addition, in matters of administration design, relying on administrators and designers who are trustworthy and reliable. And so, again, this partially relates to the point that comes before it. Um, we need different people who can do different things. And that oftentimes in our organizations, especially in the West, but not just in the West, is that there's an administrative aspect to it. And this is something that is fairly new, I would say, in a certain sense, at least in the way that it's appearing in the modern world. And it's going to take some time for us to figure out models that work. And there might not be a single model. There might be multiple models. And <coughs> excuse me. And people have different skill sets. And sometimes there are people that can join between being uh, that teaching and things of this nature, but also admin. And other times is that it's not something that they're good at. Um, anyhow, is that um, whether it's those individuals themselves or whether they're working with other people, uh, being aware that there is input that can come that needs to be brought in from specialists in different fields that can help do the work that is that we need to do. And then point number eight, focusing on spiritual cultivation and purification of the soul and every religious institution and in giving its due. This applies to scholars, administrators, designers, and the other categories of people working within that institution. So that, um, that the designers or all of those that are involved in, at some level of the organization, some type of service. And this is really key. And one of the things that, uh, uh, that, that sometimes you see is that there'll be an organization or an institution, for instance, and Lohar prayer will come in. And everyone will just kind of pray on their own at different times. Um, if everyone's working in one building, the ideal is there'd be a set time for Lohar. And no meetings are scheduled during that period. And people break and they pray Lohar in congregation. And then maybe there's brief litanies that they do after that. Uh, same thing for Asr, if they're still at work when Asr comes in. Um, this is really important. And then maybe providing um, some type of regular direction of a book that people should read or some type of regular class or some type of lecture series uh, that should be listened to. So cult spiritual cultivation and purification of the soul has to be there at every level. And we should not think that it's only the scholars or it's only the, those that are teaching that need to focus on this. 
if you have an organization that at every level, the teachers, the administrators, those serving, those volunteering, all of them are aware of what it is that they're doing. They're consciously serving for the sake of Allah. They're making righteous intentions. You would be surprised when you put on a program, if everybody's in sync, and those that are attending that program um, oftentimes are affected in a greater fashion by employees or volunteers than they are by the teachers themselves. And just sometimes things like a smile, being welcoming, uh, being helpful, taking care of people's needs, going out of your way to <coughs> check on them. Um, <coughs> that, um, uh, that preferring them over yourself and so forth and so on. When, when you have different people in the institutional organization all working together, like when you put on a program or when you are uh, in the field of work of s in, in some way, this has a very strong impact upon those that it is that you're trying to reach. So spiritual cultivation and purification of the soul has to, uh, the, the, the entire organization and institution has to be committed to that. And when you are, it will have a profound impact on uh, those that it is that you are serving. So then that takes us to the ninth point, which is diligence in studying reflecting on and pondering the Quranic and prophetic discourse from Allah, His Messenger, and those who call to Him. So, this is really important because this is the source of the, the, the Quran and the Sunnah of our Prophet are the source of our religious principles. And <coughs> we have to spend time studying, reflecting on, and pondering the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and pondering the that uh, words of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Habib Omar goes on to say, that discourse is directed to all the diverse types of people, specifically and generally, to Muslims who observe the limits of Allah, as well as, the, as transgressors, to disbelievers from the people of the book, as well as polytheists, to aggressors as well as those who we are at peace with, as to believers, uh, and to believers as well as those protected by them. This comprehensive, profound, and expansive methodology is studied in order to establish proofs, clarify the way of truth, give good news, and also warning, and likewise encourage as well as caution. It opens the door. It also opens the door to discussion and contemplation, making it easy for people to find their way back and make amends. Moreover, this methodology closes the door to misconceptions, deception, delusion, the upsetting of the balance and inversion of reality. Studying, writing about, and teaching this methodology deserves to be given the highest priority. And think about the door that's being opened here. If we really think about this, and there's so much guidance, everything that we need is in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah of our Prophet And as we have mentioned before, oftentimes we don't have the ability to, to articulate it. We don't always have the ability to articulate it. So you might read another book that is written in your native language, and the principles are familiar to you. 
But the way they're articulating them, that we oftentimes fall short in articulating them in an efficient or an effective manner, like the way that you might find in that particular book. And yes, that you should read uh, these other books. One of the books that we found this in is a book called The Culture Code, and that we found immense benefit in this book. And the principles are not foreign to the dean. They're part of our dean. But the way that they're articulated in this book is effective. And um, we should borrow from that. But we should also, and I hopefully this is what happens as we move forward, is that really study, reflect, and ponder the Qur'an and the Sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ and the early people. And so that we can then contribute to whether it be something that's called like leadership or whether it be in terms of like conflict resolution or whether it be in terms of uh, how to uh, run an organization or whether it be in terms of that counseling or what there's so many different fields that we need to do this in and of course wisdom is the law of property of the believer we can benefit and borrow from research and um, from uh, other people's studies and other things that have been done but it's special when we present it from our deen. And um, it will be more useful if we can uh, encourage people to be able to do this. And alhamdulillah, we're, 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 we're seeing this more and more where um, there's some very good works uh, that have been written that is, is, has started this process. But it needs to continue uh, and, and it needs to that expand. So then we have the tenth and final the suggestion of Sayyidi Habib Umar. A strong attachment to the greatest exemplar, the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that says in the Quran, Lakad kana lukum firusulillahi uswatun hasanatun liman kana yarjullaha wal yomal akhirah wa dhakarullaha kithira. In the Messenger of Allah, you have an excellent example for whoever has hope in Allah in the last day and remembers Allah often. He has also said, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِ يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَغْفِرْ لُكُمْ ذُنُوبُكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ Say, O Prophet, if you love Allah, then follow me. Allah will love you and forgive your sins. For Allah is most forgiving, most merciful. Having a close attachment to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi this is of the utmost importance and our attachment to the Prophet how much we love him how much that respect and ta'zim that we have for him and exaltation and how much we follow his way will manifest when we leave this abode and we go into the next abode and when we're asked those essential questions in the grave and who was our Lord what is our deen? And what do you say about this man who was our prophet? That the more that we come to know the Prophet ﷺ now, the more firm that we will be when we answer that question and those questions in the next world. This is of the utmost importance for our otherworldly life, but also for our service here while we're here in the world. Also for our contribution vis-a-vis -vis that particular institution or organization. A strong attachment to the greatest example, our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is what will help us bear the difficulties 
of the work that is that we're doing. Just as it helped the Sahaba do what it is that they did. It helped the generations after them do what it is that they did. That having a strong attachment to the Prophet will open up immense doors for us to that succeed in that service, to do it in the very best of ways with ihsan and to inshallah ta'ala have it be accepted. And so what does this mean? This is accomplished by studying his life, qualities, traits, and character, as well as his interactions, his message, and his correspondences, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We must have knowledge about the Prophet and how it is that he spoke, how it is that he walked, how it is that he talked, how he interacted with other people, what were his traits that he had, sallallahu The more we know about him, sallallahu the better. Additionally, by having great love for him, a true desire for his company in paradise, an intense yearning to meet him, devotion to his sunnah, and abundantly invoking peace and blessings upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imagine if you had an individual like this that had a heart like that, serving. Whatever it is that they're doing, whether they are a teacher, whether they are a volunteer, whether they are someone that is cleaning up, whether someone that has some type of admin duty, whether they are greeting, whatever it is that they are doing, they will bring immense blessing to that institution. They will have a profound impact upon those that are around them. And this is the way that we become people of quality. This is the way that we become people of substance. And one of the things that if we remember what Habib Hussein was mentioning, that when our actions are weighed in the scales, because he said that our actions, our words, our iman, our faith, and our character is all weighed in the scales. And there's, you could have the same action outwardly as someone else. But in one person's scales, it's, it's much heavier than in someone else's scales. And there's various reasons for that. But the more love that we have in our heart for Allah and His Messenger, the more longing that we have in our heart to meet Allah and His Messenger, the more present we are in that moment, the more sincerity that it is that we have in all of these different factors, the heavier that it's going to be in the scales. And so that if someone who's like that here in this world, it manifests in the next world, the same action that someone else is doing in one scale, it's that much heavier. Then it only makes sense then that, that that person that has a heart like this, the impact that they're going to have on the people is going to be greater as well. Just as the impact from that internal state is going to lead to being heavier in the scales, the impact on the hearts of others is also going to that be greater. And so this is the way that we should be. If you obey him, you will be rightly guided. The messenger's duty is only to deliver the message clearly. So remind them, for your duty is only to remind. You are not there to compel them. And you are truly leading to the straight path, the path of Allah, to whom belongs all that is in the heavens and the earth. Truly to Allah, all things return. And he ends by saying, Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And all praise belongs to Allah. Lord of the worlds, Alhamdulillah, if we really spend time reflecting upon these principles, you will find that they are very precise and they are extremely beneficial. And if you really think about them and try to extrapolate meanings from them, 
and to apply them to your specific situation that you're in, if you're serving in some type of organization or for an institution, you will find that they are touching on the main points that need to be addressed in the service of the various institutions that we are serving in. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to revive these meanings in our hearts and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and protect the community and to bless us all collectively wherever we might be, whether we're in the United States of America or another Western country or wherever we are on the face of this earth, serve this deen in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in a way that ultimately leads us to becoming beloved to Allah and beloved to His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa in a way that brings happiness to the blessed heart of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa May Allah ta'ala give us long lives in His obedience subhanahu wa ta'ala and to overlook all of our mistakes and to forgive us of all of our sins and to protect us, Ya Arhamar Rahimin, from anything that would cause us to be led astray or anything that would cause us to displease Him subhanahu wa ta'ala and bless us to be that in a good state always where we all have a kamal husnat khatim and admot a perfect good seal when we take our last breath fi khayran wulut fi afiyah being completely actualized in the meanings of la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah so sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa sallam walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen